Greetings, Tome Show listeners. This is Aaron, your junior editor, coming to you at the top of the show to just let you know that while the conversation in this episode of The Roundtable is spirited, insightful, and informative, it also contains some adult language. So, if you're listening with a party of adventurers, please make sure that everyone has the necessary experience points to handle the coming encounter. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Industrious Ferret is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight. Night? Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. Welcome to the D&D Roundtable. I'm Paige Lightman. My co-host is Jenny Loveday. Hi, everyone. Hey. So today, we've got a really cool show for you. Uh, We have, in my native hometown of Atlanta, a group called ATL D&D, and they run a bunch of D&D games in Atlanta. They do some really cool events And uh, today we have with us Bradley Goodnight and Nikki Johnson, and they're going to talk to us about ATL D&D and one of their most recent events, Sladies Night, a week-long celebration of women in gaming. But before we get to the meat of the show, we have our standard uh, get-to-know-you question. And today our get-to-know-you question is, if you could be any one player class in real life, no multi-classing, which one would you be and why? And Jenny, oh, why yes. don't you start us off? I was raising my hand. I was like, me, me, me. Pick me. <laughs> I would be, and this should be not a surprise to anyone who knows me, I would be a sorcerer because fire makes everything better. Let's just be honest. <laughs> don't like someone? Burn them down. You decided that you're really just not feeling this project? Burn it down. You know, got a lot of bugs? Just burn it down. It's fine. You can't see, and, can't and see, start a fire. 
And if somebody gives you shit about it, burn them down. Yeah, kill them with fire. Uh, also, though, you know, like, thaumaturgy and all those other, like, mending and useful spells and haste and helping my friends and invisibility and making people into dinosaurs, but mostly burning things with fire. Like, I mean, there is a fine Chicago tradition of T-Rexes stomping through the streets, so... Oh, I thought you were going to say of huge fires. I was like, that's insensitive. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to go for Sue the T-Rex. Uh... Anyhow, uh, for me, I if I could be any one player class in real life, I would be a fourth edition. Yeah, I said fourth edition. A fourth edition battlemaster, which is a heavily armored fighter class that can also give people actions and uh, and heal a little bit, because that would help me organize everybody and keep everybody in good health. Is that Plus, I have would have like big armor on, and that's awesome, and it's kind of charisma based. So. Uh, Nikki or Bradley, who wants to go first and tell us about your one-player class you'd be in real life? Me. I do. Go for it. it. Uh, I would definitely be a bard. I'm already halfway there. I feel like I'm, like... You've got the wit. You've got the charm. I just need the ability to do doot-doot magic flute and set somebody on fire. Like, that's all I need right now. Um... Magic flute. Do, do, magic flute. See, fire Smart. fixes everything. Fire does fix everything. And the ability to just tell someone to fuck off, and then they just run away. They just like, they don't have away. a choice. They don't have a choice. They just run away. Someone says, hey, girl, smile. I'm just like, how about you smile? And they're like, ugh, and they run away. Ugh. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, and then, like, like I don't comprehend languages. I could just, like, sing about, like, I want to know Spanish. Si habla espanol. Just, like... That would that would be so great. It'd be so good. Anyway, bards, bards, bards. Bradley, what about you? I guess I thought about this uh, since I thought the question posted. I think I'm gonna have to go with warlock. I don't know if. Yeah. I guess just in my heart, I'm still like a bit of an edgy boy, and I think that uh, I just I love the darkness, and so I think warlock is great, like being able to commune with elder powers and. Also, I feel like it requires a lot less work than Wizard. You don't have to read anything. Like, you just <laughs> yeah, make yeah, a deal yeah. and you get exactly. all this cool stuff without working for it. it exactly. No school for sorcery. Yeah, exactly. Wait, important question, though. Who's your patron? I'd say I was thinking the great old one. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, it, it okay, okay, I feel like I've turned I feel like I've turned on me with that one, though. I no, like, no, no. Yeah. I like that. It, I mean, it could be a real life thing, too. You can have, like, I don't know, Godzilla be your patron. Who cares? I think there's oh, like Kaiju. Yeah, or the Leviathan, I think, is a really cool yeah. one. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if that's, is that an Earth Arcana or is that? You you could have Cardi B. <laughs> yeah. Like... My, my extra ass definitely always wants the Archfey because I'm just like, I want all, all that's that. That's Beyonce then. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. That would be great. That would be great. All right. So let's, let's talk about ATL d I I confess I am from Atlanta. I have lived here since about 1982. It's where I learned how to play D&D uh, many, many eons ago. And I love Atlanta. As far as I'm concerned, Atlanta is the bright, shiny center of the universe. And uh, it is. Of the really South. Is. Of the South. Of I the agree. universe. Of the universe. And uh, and one thing I love about this city is it's got a great D&D culture, and Atlanta, ATL D&D, is a big part of that. Bradley, talk to our audience about what is ATL D&D, 
how to get started. What does it do? Give us an introduction. Okay. So I guess, let's see, I'll start with just kind of like where it is now. It's pretty far from where it began and even what its original kind of goals were. But as it is now, uh, Monday through Thursday every week, we run uh, kind of impromptu, like ad hoc games at our local bars. And I guess our goal was sort of to make D&D as easy to join as bar trivia or bar karaoke, where you just go in and you can hop into a game and start playing right away. So I feel like that's kind of our biggest achievement, that there are no signups. Uh, it's free to play. You just show up Monday through Thursday at these different bars and can join a game. So it's a really good intro for people that have never played before, are maybe too intimidated to just learn the rules and like find a regular game or don't want to commit to something long term. So we run one shots where the dungeon masters pitch their game idea for the night and the players basically hop into the game, uh, go to the table that sounds fun to them for that night. Does that make sense to y'all? It does. I just want to let our audience know though, it's really hard to organize stuff with signups, let alone without signups because you got no idea what you're getting yourself into there. I so, love that we run that way, though. It's always by the seat of our pants. We don't know how many DMs we're going to have. We don't know how many players we're going to have. Uh, but we've never turned a player away. I think that's correct, isn't it, Nikki? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Although you've had, to, you've had to run a table of 11, I think. I did have to run yeah. a table of oh, 11. Lord. Uh, oh. I was the only dungeon master that was there until about 730. Uh, and then finally one person showed up and was able to take six of the people that were playing uh, but I did run an eleven top one shot table. Um, it was the it was very chaotic, but like kind of at that point, you just kind of like have to go. All right, we're just gonna we're just doing fuck all, and it's gonna be fun. We're just gonna do the fun. Yeah, you kind of have to learn to stop worrying and love the bomb and just just do it, huh? Yeah. And it's it works the, more than you would think. I think it works better than you would expect. It's definitely not the first time I've had to run a large table. I have had an experience where I was mildly buzzed, and a friend of mine, um, Sam, his name is Sam. He runs like a big D and D thing uh, at Anime Week in Atlanta, and it was like ten o'clock at night, and he was like, "Nikki, I'm tired. Can you run a game for me with all these people still here?" And I was like, "Hell yeah, I can!" Uh, and I ran a fourteen top table. I did not have any dice with me. I just was like, hey, you guys are here, and we're going to go around the room, and you're going to tell me what you're going to do, and I'm just going to point at people and try my best to corral this this modge podge that we have in front of us. And that's really funny, because Jenny and I come from a tradition where we're more convention organizers, uh, or game day organizers. When I say organizers, the stress is on organization. Like we have everybody uh, there ahead of time. We have signups, we have badges, we have schedules, we have clipboards. Oh my God, the clipboards. So it's really cool to see uh, the success of ATL D&D running that by the seat of your pants. That flexibility say, is crazy wait, Paige. awesome. I think that it, uh, it took like a lot of organization even to get to that point, though. So I think that, let's see, because we're talking about kind of the one time that Nikki had to run a table of 11. Maybe it's, it's happened more than once, I expect. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. But still, the point is I don't want to give people the impression that it's always that way. I think for the number of times that it goes awry, I think that the major vast majority of the time it actually works quite smoothly, uh, that we've amassed a really big community of dungeon masters that run games. A lot of people show up to be flex DMs where they're mm -hmm. willing to run or play. So we can kind of handle any number of players that may or may not show up. And we also uh, made deals with all the bars we work with. So we run only in bars, uh, but the bars always reward our DMs with drinks. 
So that's a usually a good way to get like a decent DM population. But I think, yeah, it, yeah we just put a lot of effort on the front end to make it run week to week. Uh, so there's no signups, but it's still a lot of organization and like mm-hmm. strong community that makes it work. It's just the day of, we don't always know how it's going to go, I guess. I mean, so how did this get started? Yeah. Well, it was an idea that I had. So I just moved to Atlanta. I had lived here. I went to grad school here, but like I moved to Minnesota for a year. And then when I was there, uh, I hit up the local arcade bar and the owners of it. Uh, the place is called Joystick Game Bar. It's just an arcade bar here in Atlanta. And I pitched the idea of Drunks and Dragons to them. And I said I wanted to try to uh, run D&D in a way that it would work in a bar, that uh, people could come in and just join a game without knowing anything about the rules in advance. And they really liked the idea. So they basically gave me the opportunity to try it. I gave a presentation teaching people how to play. We had about 40 people that showed up that very first night. And I just gave a PowerPoint presentation on how D&D works. And people really wanted to play. Uh, and so the people that were in the audience who knew how to DM, we connected them with one another. And they started campaigns and different games. That was really how it began. I didn't know it was going to work this way. It was more when the player demand was greater than what we could manage with campaigns. And a lot of new people were showing up every week that we had to find something new. And that's when we came up with the pitch idea. So that's pretty much it. I really thought at the start it would just be like me running a game every week but they end up being a lot more uh, interest and response than I expected. So we kind of changed how we were doing things in order to accommodate that. I, I'm just absolutely in awe. I mean, um, Paige and I have had a little experience, back to what she said, with the no sign-up thing. And uh, Paige's first experience with running something that didn't have sign-ups was a little overwhelming for her, I believe. <laughs> she didn't expect... <laughs> <laughs> So, so this deserves the story to be told. So Dragon Con is a convention in Atlanta, and uh, it's me and Jenny and about 90,000 of our closest friends. That number is not an exaggeration, though I'm prone to exaggerate for comedic purpose. It's literally 90,000 people. And I love them all. Right. Uh, and so I, my husband and I and a whole team of people were running the D&D Adventures League there, and uh, we had this idea to do two-hour D&D demos. And I'm like, God, nobody's going to show up for these things. And I put, you know, I schedule. I told you. You were right. I was wrong. <laughs> uh, like five DMs on it in some slots, maybe up to eight in others. And, uh, like, I had a sandwich board for people to walk around in saying, come play these D&D demos. And I had free tickets for them. Like, we had, we had 300 people lined up around the hall. Like, we, we didn't have any place to put them. Uh, and that was the last time I did something without specific signups, and it was overwhelming. So the the thirst is there. Like people want to play D anD D. Like forty yeah. people showing up to to play. That's got to be a little intimidating. I think that it's kind of um, what I wanted to see in a D anD D event too. Is the way that we run this that I felt like I think that sometimes. I've had a lot of players maybe like didn't want to commit to a long-term game or I've had a lot of people who maybe would have tried D&D if it was happening right in front of them but wouldn't necessarily sign up and go somewhere. I mean, I don't know. I guess that I wanted to run it like at a bar for people who just drunkenly wanted to stumble into a game and not people who knew a whole lot about D&D in advance. We tried to make our event really appealing to people who have never played before and maybe thought they would never try it. Uh, that it, That's why I think the impromptu nature of it is important, that people need to be kind of coaxed into it that I feel like if it feels like too big of a lift or if it requires too much commitment, people might shy away. We wanted to make it as approachable and easy to kind of dive in as we could. 
I've definitely I'm totally structured that way. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I'm done. No, you're good. You're good. I've definitely had that either while hosting or just chatting with people at the bar. They're like, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, it's D&D, Dungeons and Dragons. If you're interested, I'll be running a very easy beginner game if you want to jump in. And I've had people who are just like there at the bar grab a level one character. And I run a very easy like, here are your skills. Here's how combat works. And they have a blast. I've had people show up afterwards. Like, it's, you know... Like it, it, we're very, uh, we're very like accepting of like if you don't know what it is, that's super cool. If you want to just watch us, that's also super cool. Which is like a completely different vibe from like if you went to like a game shop and and had this same sort of thing happening, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I mean, sorry, Bradley, there. Like, I I think that's absolutely the way to 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 go about it, and um my experience before pages with running the walk-ups only demos at momocon which is there in atlanta and i'm sure you know and love uh, is that people want to play like they see it and they're like i don't know i don't have anything and i'm like you don't need anything i just need you put your butt in this seat (laughs) and like being so low pressure it really just like encourages people to be like okay and like being so low pressure with alcohol available like that's the secret yeah i don't know how you guys aren't just like overflowing the bar every night with people i mean sometimes you are i'm sure you're like we we have run out of seats has that ever been a problem you just run out of seats actually well okay so we do it sort of in a bar district i guess part of atlanta with just a ton of bars and we now have good relationships with all of them so we have spillover spots so yeah like very early on we filled up joystick the arcade bar and so then we started sending people across the street to the georgia beer garden and then down the street to church and then now we also run at like an italian restaurant called noni's and we run at a barbecue place called bone lick so we oh, regularly are in, so good. Yeah, it's very good it's a great place and then they have the speakeasy like this uh bar you enter th- literally through a bookcase uh, that's in the back of bone lick you go into this but it's very good for D. it's very kind of harry potter-esque but that I, I yeah we haven't had trouble with needing more space lately because we now have this good relationship with all these bars but i was going to say too in regarding the former point i think that um our focus has always been on trying to avoid gatekeeping and to try to basically reach out to new people who otherwise wouldn't play D&D. And it's nothing against like people who maybe go to game stores to play. I think that, uh, let's see, how do I want to put it? That I guess we wanted to reach people who maybe otherwise wouldn't step into those spaces. We wanted to kind of bring D&D into a place where people wouldn't expect to see it and really try to reach kind of new people who maybe maybe they watch Critical Role but are really intimidated by playing a game or feel uncomfortable in certain spaces or people who maybe just seen Stranger Things and just want to see what D&D is all about and try it once. That's why I think the low commitment and also being in a place they're already comfortable with, being in a bar, uh, it, I think it allows us to kind of expand the reach of D&D. And from the beginning, that was really what I was trying to do is teaching people how to play and really extend the hobby to other folks that otherwise might not give it a shot. It, and I, I think that's you know absolutely brilliant because I mean I've played in plenty of game stores I've played in game stores in cities that I'd literally never been to I went on a work trip to San Jose found a game store played an epic of all things um, which is a huge multi-table special D&D game for everyone and who doesn't know pretty random to walk into it, well, yeah well you know whatever but like game stores can be intimidating so like and the other place where you know I teach people teach people are conventions and like you don't really just go to a convention on a whim. However, like you said, 
people are already at the bar. People go to the bars. People love the bars. Um, some people live at the bar. Um, I, I don't want to name any names about myself, but whatever. <laughs> uh, that's me. But y yeah, like, I, I just, I love this. I, um, I want to, I'm going to do this here. I got to meet more people first. So, <laughs> hey, so, yeah. so I, have, I have a question. So Bradley and Nikki, obviously you are very powerful evangelists for Dungeons and Dragons. Why is that? Why is that important to you? Um, Brad, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I think, let's see. I guess it's just something that I noticed maybe uh, in undergrad that I'd lost touch with like a lot of people that I knew there, except for the friends that I played D&D with. I feel like they were the people that I was closest to and they're the people that I feel the strongest kind of bond with. I felt like, and it's not kind of an accident, I feel like something about the game itself uh, really gets people to open up. You, you can kind of, in a way, be more yourself because you're pretending to be someone else that you can be more vulnerable with people because you have this sort of layer of abstraction that is the player character you're playing. I feel like uh, it's just a great way to get to know people compared to like other meetups that I've been to. I feel like the game kind of being in between you and the other people actually allows you to, uh, to connect with them more easily, more readily. And I just thought that people really need more social connection this day and age. And I thought that this was a good way to kind of get that to people that by making an easy to join D and D event. I think we have created a lot of friendships among people, not they're not friends with me necessarily, but like among other people in the group that I don't even really know. I feel like uh, it's doing a social good by getting them to play this game and to connect to one another. So that's initially why I really wanted to do this. I feel like D and D is the best way to break down those barriers and to connect to other people. And yeah, um, for me, <clears throat> I uh, kind of stumbled into D&D. I moved in with some roommates and um, woke up at like 9 o'clock at night and walked into a bunch of nerds sitting around a table rolling dice. Um, and it was beautiful, and I wanted to try that. <clears throat> and then I found out about ATL D&D, and it was playing at a bar, and it was super low commitment, so you could just come in and like play in a one-shot that like didn't require a lot of... Uh, forethought and like I've been playing nothing but like hardcore campaigns with these guys so um <clears throat> it's kind of nice to just like go from like having to keep track of like your money and your equipment and your your steed and all that stuff to just being like you're a space pirate and your ship blew up and that's the end of the camp that's the end of this session I'm just like oh that's so nice um I I also really like D&D because you get to, just like Bradley said, you can be kind of, you kind of can be whatever you want and like deal with situations um, like outside of real life, but like also deal with them in game. Um, I've talked with a lot of people about how D&D is very therapeutic and it's very, you know, you can deal with something in a kind of safe space, uh, maybe not like super traumatic, it's, but it's like... It's still very true though, very true. Uh, you can... You can deal with your social anxiety. You can deal with uh, your ability to communicate with other people and to problem solve with other people. Or, like, you know, realize some things about yourself that maybe you didn't know. Like, you come into a game being a power gamer and wanting to, like, destroy everything. But, lo and behold, you meet this sweet little goblin boy that teaches you that, you know, it's not all about the gold and the killing everything that you meet. I don't know. Like, it, I've seen some... 
some beautiful like role play moments through D and D that have definitely like had the person going like, oh man, I worked something out there. It's super good. Um, and also as a uh, a woman and a person of color, it's so nice to see that at uh, at a D and D event. Like um, we'll get to Slady's Night in a minute, but uh, lately there've just been a lot of women showing up to play D and D, and a lot of you know people of color coming out to play D and D, and no offense, D&D is a, a white male-dominated field, and... Uh, it, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. But this is the golden age of women in D&D, I think. Yeah, so uh, I just... that That's something that I'm enjoying now as, as ATL D&D is getting bigger, is just how many people are coming out to play D&D. So. I think... Because I think we're really um, talking about it kind of from the player perspective in a way. But I, after thinking about it, as you were talking about that, it reminded me, um, I think we've really inspired a lot of people to engage in storytelling, too. That we've had a lot of people who didn't even know about D&D had never played before, but now are DMing. And I think for, first of all, like one shots in sort of this non-commitment sort of setting that we run, I think is a really easy way to kind of tip, uh, put your toes into DMing. Try it the first time. Also try new material. Uh, but I... I think I feel most inspired by all the new storytellers that otherwise maybe never would have tried this hobby who are now running games and to see all the re really amazing cool shit they're coming up with and how they've taken it much further than I would have. So I don't know. I think to me, that's the most inspiring thing I think is um, getting other people to tell their own stories and to bring in their own perspectives. Cause I really love the game. I love DMing. Uh, but I'm constantly inspired by them, and I feel like my DMing is improved also by seeing other people run games, which maybe That's you don't so always get to do if you're running your own game. Yeah. And your your DMs are amazing. I'm just gonna just gonna throw that out there. I've gotten a couple of them at MomoCon, and oh boy, they just they just bring the A game all the way. Like can't stop, won't stop. I think that we all inspire each other. I think that everyone sees what other people are doing. They're able to like take good ideas and incorporate them and. Uh, maybe lift like story elements that you like. So I, I feel like that's another kind of added benefit of having a dungeon master community that I had never really experienced before that, you know, I watched um, like Matt Mercer's videos and uh, Matt Coville, but, and I think a lot of these other DMs had as well, but being able to actually like talk with the DMs in person and kind of talk shop is a whole different kind of level. It really helps take your DM game up, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, the great things about the internet being a disruptor in our hobby is that n now if you're learning how to DM in, I don't know, the last five, 10 years, you have the wealth of all these DMs experience on YouTube, on the internet there for you to uh, partake in. Cause the more games you play, the more games you run, the better, more different DMs you see, the better off you are. Like back when I learned how to DM in the eighties, we didn't we didn't have that and so i'm really feeling like the current crop of dms is going to be a lot better than the people who started with my generation they're just going to have a better teaching experience than we did i i do have want to chase down a point that nikki nikki brought up uh, and that is about diversity in atl dnd having been to several atl dnd events your events are far more diverse than the conventions and game days i run you just you reach more people who are women and who are non-white and i'd love to hear you guys talk a little more about that and how you reach out to these communities because i'd really like to be able to 
involve more people from these communities in Dungeons and Dragons? Well, besides uh, uh, the that just passed, I think having like strong women DMs show up, like I'm always there and uh, Jessica Goodnight is always there, Bradley's wife. Um, and we have at least like four other very strong women that are presently always at the one shot events. Um, and it's just kind of like if you're new to D&D and or just sitting at the bar um, and you see, you know, this like woman in a wig, like wearing high heels, rolling dice, you're super like what's going on over here. Uh, I've definitely had a few people come up to me. They're like, you're so pretty. What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm playing D&D. And they're like, I want to do that. And I think it's also the neighborhoods that we're in, Edgewood and um, when we were back at Deep End, uh, are, there's just like a, a heavy black uh, uh, culture around there. And a lot of people will come from like Mother's or Department Store or any of the other bars. And they'll come in and they, I've had plenty of people who are just like, what is this? It's like, it's D&D. And they're like, I'm super into that. Or I've never played before. And they just like want to watch or they want to like sit with their friends and you know, see what's going on. Um, but like, I, I, I've i definitely had a lot of people just like come in and sit down at the table and I'm like, I'll absolutely run like a very easy beginner's game for you. And I've run <clears throat> literally like these, these sweet ladies uh, were on there. Like it was the girl's birthday. She was turning 25 and they're like, what's this? And I was like, it's D&D. Do you want to play? They're like, yeah, we want to play. It was, uh, it was just they were so excited about it and they came to Ladies Night as well and that it just like warmed my heart and they had never heard of D&D before but now they're like super into it. Um, I will say though, uh, we definitely do have, well did, uh, have a couple of people that um, tried to gatekeep before with some of the uh, people that were coming into our events. Uh, yeah, what happened? There was there was one guy. Um, he is I don't believe uh, playing with us anymore. But uh, he was standing next to us, and uh, like us, uh, some of the DMs were waiting for the one shots to come up. And this um, young woman steps up, and she's like, uh, "Is this where the D and D is?" And he looks at her and says, "Oh, I don't think you're here for D and D." And we all were like, "Nope, no, incorrect. Everyone can play D and D. Please never say that again." And he said it was a joke, yeah, but... Yeah, no, that's not a joke. That's never a joke. It's never, ever a joke. No. Um, no. <laughs> and, like, no matter who anybody is, when they come up to us, we... Like, I... me. There's another uh, host of... Uh, his name is Chris. Um, he and I do this thing where we'll, like... Well, all the hosts will ask people when they walk in if they're here to play D&D. And uh, a lot of the times, people are not there to play D&D, but we... We still ask them, like, if they're here to play D&D. Like, just that, like, you walk in, you walk into our space, and we want to know if you want to play. And if not, it's super cool. Don't mind us. But if you are interested, you know, please, please let us know. Um, We've converted a lot of people that way, too. Yeah. A lot of folks didn't come in for D&D, but then ended up joining a game. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that the way we've done it, I think you mentioned two things that, yeah, I had not really thought about like what we had done that made it successful, but it's nice to put it that way. But I think, yeah, we have kind of a zero tolerance policy for gatekeeping, 
that we make a point. And I think it's kind of the DM's role at your table too. When something happens, it's kind of messed up. You really have to kind of name it, call it out, not just let it slide because then it leads to that habit, I guess, and creates a situation where uh, people are excluded. And I forgot what the other point was, but yeah, the one is the no gatekeeping policy. And I guess the other might just be the nature of how we run our games. I think it's very easy just to come and try. Uh, I think it's easy for people who maybe otherwise don't consider themselves to be D&D players that the low commitment aspect of it makes it really easy just to hop in and try it once to see if it's for you. So do you guys have a formal code of conduct or just really good culture or both? A little bit of both. I mean, we have a code of conduct, at least on our Discord, and it's something that we've talked about, Chris and Nikki and me and others maybe, but I guess that because there's not really materials that we have printed that people see, um, it's not there and it's not obvious, but maybe we should try to actually formalize something. Hmm. I think that would be handy to have like a, like a, not like a rule sheet, but just like a, hey, if you're coming to play D&D, just be cool, don't uh, be offensive. If someone says something to you, take it with a with an open mind, um, and we're all here to have fun. Like, I think that's... I think there might be two things that work in our favor. So I actually did do um, a session zero before the event started. Like the very first time we ever ran at Joystick, I just taught people how to play D&D. And then the second time was session zero and it went over rules. And I think I did kind of call out like no racism, no homophobia. And I think the other thing maybe since then, sorry, I lost my train of thought, but that. You hate to have to say no racism, no homophobia, but, you know, sometimes it's just good CYA to point out that there's a certain minimum standard of human behavior expected. The, I think the important thing is to actually notice it when it happens and to call it out, I suppose. The person that Nikki's talking about, I mean, they seemed receptive when we, I don't know if they've been as much since then, uh, but at least you can't just let it slide because then it happens more and more frequently and it can really alter the culture. Oh, but I think the other thing that works in our favor is just the fact that we're at a bar, I guess, that, and maybe, I don't know if it's controversial, but that uh, I feel like it serves a little bit as like an asshole filter that I think that people who are not comfortable in that space, who aren't cool, like being around a lot of different kinds of people just won't even enter the door that I think joysticks sort of have a reputation. Does that make sense? Yeah, I've never heard the word asshole filter before, but I totally get what you mean. I, I'm taking that from, so there's a church down the street that I really love called, uh, sorry, there's a bar down the street called Church. Right, right, right. So it's called uh, Sister Lisa's Church of the Living Room and Ping Pong Emporium. And it's had a reputation for just being like a really, uh, like a really queer friendly space. And I think because of that, and also a lot of the decor is kind of sacrilegious and People who are not cool with that scene just don't go in there. And you go in, you immediately see what this place is about. And so I had heard it described as being a bit of an asshole filter, and it made the uh, environment there really nice and really fun. Uh, so I think that Joystick kind of operates in a similar way. I think it has a similar mm -hmm. reputation. Mm -hmm. And because of that, people who expect to kind of be dominating in a space or talk over people or have it all be about them and they're not comfortable with people of color. They're not comfortable with uh, non-straight people. They basically just don't feel comfortable in that space. And so it creates the safe space kind of by default. It's really part of uh, the job that the owners of joystick had done uh, to create this cool welcoming space to begin with. We're just benefiting from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very cool bar. Like even if they did not play D and D there, it is like, I'm not super into bars, but that is a bar I'm super into. 
yeah, it's a great spot. Yep. Um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about the kind of events you run. So, like you said, Monday through Thursday, uh, you can go to any one of several bars in uh, Central Atlanta and play D and D. But you also run some really cool special events. Do you want to talk about some of those? I would love to. I guess, I guess I'll stop, start first because I'm super proud of our bar crawl. It's my favorite thing that we do. And Paige, I think you went to the very first one. I believe you had a pretty fun time. I went to the first one, DM'd for the second one, and sadly I'm not going to make the next one because I have major surgery scheduled. It won't be upright. But your husband will be there. Ben's going to be there. That's running. the plan. That's the plan. Okay. I'm really excited that he's coming back, but it's it's always been a lot of fun. I guess I am very proud of it because I feel like it's the most ambitious thing we've done. I think that our regular Monday through Thursday events – you know, they were difficult enough, but this was a whole different can of worms that it's six different bars and it's 120 players now. Uh, so they start with 20 players in each bar. Wow, and then 120. 120 players, yeah. That's bigger than tables. the... That's bigger than the last one. Yeah, they keep getting bigger. I guess we what keep trying to push one? the envelope. It was only 60, 60 players. Yeah, okay. Well, it also was three bars. So we doubled the number of bars. We doubled the number of players. But basically, so 20 people in each bar playing at four tables. And then on a schedule, they all get up and move to the next bar, and the game continues. But the DM doesn't move with them, so they actually continue their story with another DM who like picks up where the last one left off, basically. Uh, although, so each DM kind of writes their own sections, their own dungeon rooms, uh, and we usually write plots that, like kind of a meta-narrative that helps weave them all together and make it be coherent, even though uh, the DM that picks up the story thread doesn't necessarily know what happened in the previous one. So usually they involve some kind of trope or like uh, some concept that allows that to make sense. But yeah, it's super fun. Nikki, do you have anything to say about it? Yeah, I DM'd in both of them, and I'll be DMing in this one. I'm actually very excited for this because uh, the first two bar crawls, it was me and uh, Justice Mercer and Andrew Bellurry. Um, both of them have stepped down uh, from this next one, and it'll be me uh, and Hannah Leonard and Kristen Avery, and it'll be the only all females uh, group for the for that Sweet. bar call, and I'm very excited about that. Um, and yeah, I will say that the first one was a little hectic, but like everybody was having fun. Um, and then the second one was super duper fun, but a lot more exhausting, uh, but, but in a good way. Like it's like running a marathon, pretty much. Um, and I don't know, like I've I've never seen something both ambitious, but also just like everybody's super duper down for it. Like just pick a, picking a day and everybody just knowing that they're going to be drinking and playing D&D for about eight hours. Um, and it's it's super duper fun. And I've always had fun doing it. And I'm very excited for this one because we're finally dipping into the dragons. Um, Should we but, give a sneak peek or ooh, maybe talk about the plot? Some of we some like spoilers. scoops. We like uh, spoilers. Yeah, not, maybe not a spoiler, but definitely like uh, some some little nuggets of, of intrigue. Well, this uh, one's going to be called... Uh, Game of Dragons, and it's our good friend Dudley who wrote it, came up with the concept, along with Jay Domingo. So it's Dudley Merrifield and Jay Domingo, they uh, together co-wrote it. And yeah, it's just dragons all the way down. So it's basically dragons, dragons, dragons. You are going to be sitting at a table where each dungeon master has their own unique dragon that they come up with. This, These are, it's not spoilers, but this is something that we haven't revealed to anyone else except for the DMs, but I'm going to try not to give too much info. Yay! Uh, 
Yeah, so each dungeon master can create their own ancient dragon that uh, can look however they want it to. Uh, they can choose whatever color they want. And then they basically, it's going to be like an NPC, a, sorry, a DM NPC that represents them. And the dragon designs challenges that players have to go through. So as you move from table to table, uh, each DM and that DM's dragon presents you with challenges that you have to overcome. And it's part of some like larger game that the dragons are playing with one another. So the adventures are basically like pawns in a game being played by ancient dragons. And I, I like it because the actual plot of the game and the structure of it kind of maps on to what we're actually doing, where the DMs are represented by dragons because we are sort of running this larger game where the players are pawns in that larger game. So usually I try to make it parallel, the structure of it, because then anything weird mechanical in terms of like moving from table to table actually makes sense in world. Neat. And so people make up their characters ahead of time and then mm -hmm. just show up. And so this is, this is organized. This has signups and tickets and. Yeah, this one, that's true. So yeah, our regular Monday through Thursday events are always free and uh, they don't require any signups. We have character sheets, although there are campaigns that run at those that, you know, you have to get into the campaign and then you have a character that is static over time. It's not all one shots at our regular Monday through Thursday games, but this is one of our few like ticketed events where we have limited seating. So usually like Monday through Thursday, that's kind of always free. That's set. Uh, the weekend events we only do occasionally. And then those are ticketed because weekends are just a lot more popular. People have that time off and can come in from Marietta or like the suburbs of Atlanta to play D and D. Knoxville. So those, yeah, actually, yeah, we had people drive here from yeah. Tennessee. Uh, people Jerry drove and Tabitha really came far down. Away. Yeah, a bunch that of was, a bunch of people uh, have over the course of them. Yeah, that was amazing though. Actually, I will say that because we haven't been doing this that long, but that made me feel so good. To, now I think it might have been the same people you're talking about that I met, but they said they had come here from Tennessee. We had people come from maybe even further away. That felt really fulfilling to know that people like our silly event enough to drive a long way to drink and play D&D &D with us. That was just really cool to see. But yeah, I think the next one is going to be a lot of fun. I'm pretty excited about uh, the structure of it or this new plot. So uh, we'll talk about Slady's Night in detail in a bit. But other than Slady's Night and the bar crawls, what other kind of events do you run? Uh, the brunches are the other weekend event. I guess I'll talk about that and then maybe Nikki can talk about some of the other more regular things. So that's okay. But I'm really excited about this new, mostly because I thought the name was a really good pun, but I called it Brunchins and Dragons. And they're basically like mini bar crawls, I guess. I mean, they, they don't, you don't move, but they're a ticketed event. Each one is themed. So we did one uh, for Valentine's Day called Brunchins and Dragons Love is a Battlefield. And then the next one that we're doing is like a kind of throwback retro games, like uh, 80s and 90s aesthetic. And it's called uh, Eon of Neon, which I thought was really cool. So we do these monthly brunch games uh, where it's like $5 to play. And then they're always somehow themed. Uh, and then it's at our partner bar, Diesel, which has been amazing to work with. They also, they've, uh, they're a bar that's been doing like Walking Dead stuff, like a lot of nerd stuff there. So it's like a really good fit for us. And I think it's cool to be able to do themed games more often. Basically, I like them so much. I didn't want to wait for the bar crawl. And to be able to do one every month is really exciting. So let me just get this straight. Monday through Thursday, games in bars downtown. Uh, monthly uh, brunch, quarterly or so bar crawl. Like, do you have a day job as well? Do I? Yeah. yeah. I think we both do. Yeah. And we do, there are other monthly events as well. 
Well, actually, maybe as, as by way of explanation, like I don't we've kind of had to split off in a way that which that's the unfortunate thing, because I really like a lot of the people that I've met through the event. But because we've expanded so much now, I don't get to see everyone as much like I can't go to Monday. I don't go to the Monday through Thursday events. I did for a while, but it was I wasn't I didn't know if I'd be able to maintain my day job if I kept doing that. So I've had to drop off from some of those. And basically, I just go to one a week and then maybe the special events now. But the community's grown enough that it's enough to kind of maintain all these different events. That is, that is just a lot of work. That is just a lot of game. So it's got to be hard finding capable lieutenants and co-conspirators to delegate all this to. I think that the event, though, because people like it so much, I feel like it's drawn some really amazing people to me, the pe including Nikki, that I didn't know Nikki before this. And then... Uh, a lot of Nikki's friends, actually, she was already connected to all these amazing people, but Andrew Bellary, whom she mentioned, uh, he does all of our art for us, but he just saw the event, thought it was cool, and then met me, and then has been working with us ever since. I feel like just how cool the event is seems to be attracting the right kind of people, and that has made it a little bit easier. That uh, If it weren't for them, there's no way we could maintain it, but we've really, I don't know, I've, I feel very lucky that it's drawn such awesome people to us, that I've had an opportunity to meet all these really cool people. Well, it's part luck, but a lot of hard work, too. Yeah. We also have uh, two other events that uh, happen monthly. Uh, we do a, a system shock where uh, on a Saturday we will run games that aren't 5th edition. Like the one that happened yesterday, they ran Pathfinder. Uh, and sometimes we'll do... Um, um, oh, I've... I'm blanking on all the other cool tabletop RPG games you can do, but we, we have like a theme and we invite people out to do that. Also free, just at one of the bars on Saturday. And then we also do uh, DM Fight Club, which is run by uh, Caleb Pendleton. Uh, and it's uh, a both a learn how to DM and hone your DM skills sort of event where uh, if you're a brand new DM, never DM before, but you want to, uh, me, Caleb, and a friend of ours, Jarrett, run sort of like a mini panel slideshow where we talk about like the three main things you need for to be a DM um, and take most of this with a grain of salt, but you know, like this, this is sort of what you'll need to do. And then we'll run like a fun little game where we do popcorn DMing, where everyone around the table gets a chance to DM the table. And then the more experienced Dungeon Masters who have maybe run a game or two, but want to try more advanced challenges to try and like hone their DM skills, will get like these packet challenges where like maybe it's improv, maybe you just don't, you don't make up the, you don't do anything beforehand. You just kind of run with what the players give you or three-headed DM or chaos or just a bunch of really fun things um, and I, I love those events so much just because uh, DMing is a very hard thing to do. And uh, I kind of jumped headlong into it by running a campaign my first time. Um, but it's really exciting to see like a bunch of people who are like, I've come to all of your events, but now I kind of like have a really cool story and I just don't know what I want to do. And then having them come in and just be like, yes, let us give you the tools you need to become a great dungeon master. Excellent. Yes. I say it just like that, very, very Palpatine-esque, rubbing the hands, all that. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody knows you get extra special D&D points if you create new DMs. Like, that is the best thing you can do as a D&D player. It's like and also, if you've ever DM before, getting somebody else to DM so you can play is the best. That's how you get your multiplier. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, get those combos going. So I have I have another question. Uh, lessons learned. Like, y'all have been doing ATL D&D for a while? Like, three years? Not that long, only a year and a half. Year and a half, okay, shows what I know. So what uh, what are your big lessons learned? What have you had to change or, or improve or improvise uh, since you started? Like you came into it thinking one thing and now you've had a little experience. It's like, nope, we're gonna do this a different way. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Nikki, do you have an answer? I'm gonna have to think about it for a second. Um, I definitely feel like when I first started, it was uh, just a means of like, myself honing my own DM skills by running a one-shot or like watching other people run one-shots and kind of like learning from that. Um, but now it's kind of become like uh, my my mission to be uh, a strong woman of color in the D&D community, trying to get more of, the, more of that um, in there. Because um, uh, that's kind of something that I'm super passionate about and also like uh, having many voices and trying many things but also knowing when to say no this is where we're drawing the line like we have a lot of people who come up with us with with, with really cool ideas about like the bar crawls and other events you know people who want to run like special campaign ideas and like we want to try to get to all of that and do as much as we can with ATL D&D, but also we have to understand where are, where to draw the line because we have people who want to run things on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays, like weekly, and it's like we can't because as much as we, as much as the bars love us and as much as uh, we bring in a lot of business for them, we will never compare to their like weekend people coming in and we don't want to... Uh, step on those toes and uh most people are already doing stuff friday saturday and sunday like we have the we have the monthly stuff but as far as like the weekly stuff kind of where we are right now i think is a very uh good place to be so all right i i I will definitely second the call for more strong women of color in dungeons and dragons that is that is a priority as it should be It actually made me think of uh, what I would say my lesson learned was that I feel like we've been very inclusive from the beginning, but I guess that uh, the thing that I've learned most running these events is, and maybe I'm still in the process of learning it. I think that Nikki kind of helped teach me this uh, by the amazing job she did with Sladies Night, but it's to really trust uh, the other people that I work with and to delegate and to give up a lot of uh, control over things because I've done like the social media uh, and kind of run all the events from the beginning. It, it really was sort of, I guess it was never a one man show because it was um, other DMs are running things, but I was there at like every event. I was doing a lot of the work early on and I feel like it's gotten so much better when I've handed over a lot of things uh, to other people. And I think that Nikki completely did uh Slady's night entirely on her own and that, I guess it wasn't really a leap of faith. Like I, I really knew that I could trust Nikki to handle it. And also I felt like given even the nature of what uh, Slady's Night was, I knew that it wouldn't be a thing that I could really just do myself. It needed to be women led and women run. And so it was still a difficult thing to kind of hand over my baby, which is the event to other folks. Uh, but she absolutely knocked it out of the park and did such a tremendous job 
uh, running Slady's Night. But it, it made me realize like that's what I need to be doing more, that the event is going to be better and stronger if I allow other people to take on different roles and to do things. Uh, and it's going to make them feel more committed and more involved as well. And they're going to have fun by picking up different things and running their own things. For instance, um, what's it called? The System Shock event where we try different DM systems or DM, sorry, different game systems is something completely created, invented, and run by someone other than me. And Slady's Night was uh, an idea that was completely independent of me as well. And I think that because I'm handing it over to other folks and letting them run their own stuff, uh, the event is getting a lot more interesting and a lot better. So we're going to talk about Slady's Night in a minute. Like I'm saving up for it. It's super exciting. Uh, there's obviously somebody in our audience right now listening to this going, oh my God, I want to do this in Poughkeepsie or Albuquerque or San Antonio or wherever they live. <laughs> Those are such random places. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, what advice do you have for that person that is hearing you talk and says, yes, yes, that's what I want to do in my hometown? What, what advice do you have? I think I have some thoughts about what worked for us at least. And I really, I guess it's hard to know for sure if anything will work exactly the same elsewhere as it did for us. But that uh, my emphasis from the beginning was teaching new people how to play as opposed to trying to like bring in people that already know how. So I ran the first session as a D&D 101 learn to play event. And I feel like that actually propelled us to a bit of the, of the success that we had. So that's usually the thing I mentioned first is if you want people to like come to a D&D event, if you want to run a D&D event, teach people how to play. Because I felt like there's always a lot of interest in learning how. And I think that if you teach people how to play, then they clearly like don't know of any other game stores or places where they can go play currently because they're new to the game. And so they would then be kind of connected to you and that you would be an obvious place for them to go and play. And maybe they'll move to a home game later. Maybe they'll go to a game store later. But if you want to try and build up a group of players, a player base, then I think teaching people like turning non-players into players is a way to kind of create that for yourself. So if you want to get a local event off the ground, run a learn to play session. They usually get a lot of traction and they create that player base for you. All right. So definitely start with a, a learn to play session. What about as far as, I mean, do you, do you think recommending doing it in a bar is a good idea? If so, how do you approach that bar saying, Hey, I want a few of your tables. Well, it benefits them. I think that you're bringing in, I, I would say, if you go in and say like, hey, I would like some tables, I feel like that implies that they're just giving you something, but really you're bringing value. If you bring people in who are gonna buy food and uh, buy drinks, then it's of a benefit to a bar. So I would say approach a bar, uh, offer to run something on like a Monday night when there isn't anything else going on. Uh, I think that's usually like kind of how we got our foot in the door. And that's kind of what Nikki was saying that we don't say like, give us Friday night, give us Saturday night, because obviously they've got other stuff going on that night. But usually Monday's pretty dead and they're willing to kind of roll the dice and let you try something new. Okay. Yeah, especially if you, I'm sorry, especially yeah. if you go to a, a bar that um, is like a nerdy influence bar already that maybe already has like a trivia night or just a space where people already come and sit down at large tables with large groups. Um, and definitely do it on a, a day that isn't as popular as Friday, the weekend. Um, and I, yeah, like let them know that you're bringing in people that will drink, like, especially if it's like, 
a 21 and up bar. Um, I have never met a D&D party that if, even if there are people in there that do not drink, do not buy drinks from the bar. Like even if it's like a soda or something, like they're, they're always buying things at the bar and that's kind of what <laughs> the bar wants at the end of the day is people that are buying drinks. I've seen a lot of, I have worked at a bar and I've seen a lot of different things both work and not work. Um, usually what works is getting adults in the bar that are going to buy things at the bar with money. Um, we we had a, one bar I used to work at had a Doctor Who viewing party, but the people that showed up to this were um, teenagers, um, and they have maybe $5 on them collectively, and they bought fries, and that was it. So, uh, you know, bringing, bringing people that will buy drinks from the bars on a day that normally there's not a lot happening and if you have a bar that is nerdy, that already has these sort of events happening, uh, that just kind of, you already have those, that crowd that knows about the bar, and they'll just want to come on a different night. I think I can add to that too, if that's all right. That I agree yeah. completely, Nikki, and I think that, um, let's see, what I was gonna say is that, because I don't want to disparage people that come to our event and like don't, uh, not suggesting that's what you're doing, Nikki, but I think that if people don't uh, buy anything, that's still okay, because they add value to the people around them, that they're sitting in a seat that otherwise would be unoccupied, because it's a Monday night, so it's not hurting anybody, and even if they just drink water all night, they're making the game more fun for the other people at their table with them, typically, so I feel like it's cool, even if people don't buy stuff. The bar might not feel the same way, so I think it's good to think about how to add value to the bar uh, in additional ways, and I think that social media is a way to do that. That you can make the case that the bar that's that really bringing good point. in. Yeah, I, so I take a lot of photos at these events, and so even if a lot of people there are not really drinking or eating a whole bunch, and some tables are not, that's fine with me. Uh, I can still take cool photos of them and then post that and tag the bar. And I think that that is of value to the bar owners too. You're advertising for them basically. You're bringing people and introducing them to the space. So if it's a nerd themed bar, if it's one that like it's on brand for them to have this event, then it's even better. And I think you can make the case that even if people don't eat and drink a lot, uh, they're taking up space that otherwise would be unoccupied, which then when people are walking by, if there's foot traffic, they see there's a crowd. It makes them think this bar is popular. And then you take photos and post to social media, which makes the bar feel good too. So it's not just the money that people bring, it's also the, the their presence is itself valuable. I, I, I think that's such a good point. Um, I, I didn't do it at a bar. Well, I did host a game at a bar, but that was so much, it went pretty much like me. So I went in there, hello, I would like to help you help me. I'll put butts in those seats if we can have them on Mondays. They have money. <laughs> so that was that. But I um, started my uh, D&D community um, well, my half of it instead of Jay's in Knoxville at a small game store that just happened to be across the road from my work. And at that point in time, like, I don't know. I mean, they knew what D&D was, but like they didn't have anyone play it. They didn't really sell that much stuff. And, you know, and after like a, you know, a year or so of hosting regular games there and the store name was all over Facebook and we were tagging them because we're having game night. Uh, tagging them because they got stuff in that was cool and we bought it and like D&D became their largest source of revenue just because nice. they, just because they were like yeah no we're not busy on Monday you guys will buy snacks and stuff so sure you know and like that has been a great relationship those are actually some of my best friends now 
Shout out to Bobby and Steven. I think it's a really good point that it's beneficial to them too. And I think when you approach a bar that uh, you don't want to go in with the mindset that they're just giving you something for free. Um, I mean, it's it's mutual is the point that bring people to, and it doesn't have to be a bar, it can be anywhere, but if it's a game store, a community center, or wherever, I think that it's a benefit to them often to have people there. It's a partnership. Exactly. Okay, well, I mean, we've kind of danced around it and hemmed and hauled and mentioned it, I don't know, 15 times page that we're going to get to it later. Well, now is later. So, it is Slaby's night. And I'm feeling good. All right, Nikki. <laughs> That's not the next song, line in the song, I know. Uh, Nikki, do you want to tell us about Slady's Night finally? I do want to talk about Slady's Night. It's my baby, and I'm so I'm so proud of it. Um, Slady's Night happened uh, because I was at, we were at like an end of the year party, and I was talking with Bradley about it, and I was like, you know, it'd be really cool to do like a women's run ATL D and D day or something during International Women's Month. And Bradley was like, okay, well, talk to me about it again next year when we have, like, you know, a little bit closer to that. And I was like, okay. So January rolled around, and I texted Bradley, and I was just like, hey, we should do, like, a week-long ladies' event at March. And he was like, yeah, we should. We should also make it a charity event, and we should get a bunch of lady DMs, and maybe to get some merchandise, and we should get, like, an Atlanta lady to do the artwork. And I was like... Fuck yeah, Bradley. So with uh, Bradley's help um, and Andrew Bellary with the merchandise, and we got um, Arteta, Kate Logan, um, to do the beautiful artwork. Um, uh, we created this week-long celebration of women DMs and women in gaming, essentially, Um I, got, I contacted all the women that I knew that liked D&D and all the women in ATL D&D and asked just all of them, like, uh, and I, I, I finally got in touch with you, Paige, like, who wants to run this for a good cause? Um, and I'm like, hell yes, I do. Yes. Uh, I, yeah, and we also did it for charity. All the uh, money that we donated uh, is going to Girls, Inc. of Atlanta, which um, I don't know the final numbers because we haven't gotten the stuff back from the bars and from Andrew's merchandise yet. Um but Brad, Bradley, do you know what the final numbers are yet? I'm afraid that. Well, we know that it's. I know we've been saying it for a while that it's over 1,400. But yes. that's like the that because that's how much we got from tickets. Uh, yes. How much we're gonna get from the bars, we don't know. We'll probably know this Thursday after another oh. week of events. Sorry, we don't have the final number. No, no, no. It, I uh, I figured as much because we still need to wait. It on would have been days. exciting to announce it now, though. That would have been a perfect time. But that would have been great. Sorry. It's okay. It's fine. I mean, 1,400 is still nothing to sneeze at that is uh beautiful and impressive um and we also sold a drink that we asked all the bars to just make up whatever drink they want to do it'll be called the warrior princess and uh they'll donate money from that drink to the girls inc uh, charity as well um and it became this huge big thing that took over a lot of uh my time for like the last two months uh i even took uh, my paid vacation off this week so that I could focus solely wow. on uh, Slady's Night. Yeah. Um, so, so how many games was it? Like, how many games were run and how many places over how many days? Uh, so it was over four days, uh, excuse me, uh, five days. We started Sunday the 24th uh, over at Diesel. 
uh, and we actually ran two sets of games. Uh, there were five tables of six on uh, for the first round between 12 and 3, and then there were um, four tables of six uh, from 3 to 6. Uh, so that's 11 on Sunday. I just looked it up. It's 23 games. 23 games uh, over wow. the course of, of five days. Um, oh, and those were just the paid charity games. We also had yeah. our re- this was on top of our regular Monday through Thursday uh, yeah. free games. Yeah, which uh, Monday and Tuesday, uh, I I wish I had taken a picture of the of it before we set everybody else to do their their games. It was standing room only at Joystick Monday and Tuesday, so it, it was packed on Tuesday. It was it was packed, packed on Tuesday. Yeah. With just people there for Sladies Night and there people there for the one shots and then all the people that were coming in going, what's going on here? Um, that was that was magical. Um, Wednesday and Thursday kind of slowed down a little bit, but it was it was still like everybody there was excited about Sladies Night. Everybody was excited to donate and and um, it was it was magical. <laughs> and we had a rep from Girls Inc. as well that came out Tuesday. Yes, uh, uh, Ashley. Yes, yeah, she came out on. Actually, she came out Monday, and then uh, some uh, uh, events happened that uh, took her away, so she couldn't come the rest of the week. But um, she did come on Monday and and said a little thank you to everybody um, for being there and donating and supporting and just being very cool about D and D and women in D and D and all that stuff. I thought it was cool. She said that uh, the because it's the girls who uh, benefit from Girls Inc. The girls they work with have been like kind of seeing your picture, Nikki, on social media and seeing kind of what you're doing and are interested in D and D now and thought what you're doing was really cool. So I thought that was really nice that she shared that with them. Uh, I definitely told Ashley. She was talking to me about like you know they want to come and play D and D. Is like if you want me to run a Girls Inc. D and D game, like if you want me to just like do that, I will do it. I. Please, please tell me when you need that to happen because I'm ready right now. <laughs> did you did you have any problems finding enough uh, women or women identifying DMs? Uh, no, actually, well, uh, there were definitely some issues with uh, certain people um, having commitments that clashed, and so they weren't able to make it, or just uh, you know, life happened and. Uh, uh, they they had to back out, but we always found somebody to like uh, fill in that spot. Um, we definitely had uh, uh, a few uh, mishaps with some tables being swapped for days, and we had to uh, let the DMs know and then contact their players. Um, and, but I think all in all, everybody was very very cool and relaxed about it, and helped that we also had like. Um, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, everybody was very uh, understanding, and we did this like a solid like few weeks in advance. Like I think the most harrowing thing was we had to replace one of the DMs like a week before. But it yeah everything was fine. Right. Yeah. So so the DMs were women. Yes. Uh, but the or players, women identifying. Yes. Uh, trans women are women. Period. End of story. Yeah. Uh, but the players were from all over the identity spectrum. Yes. Did you did you get any pushback? Uh no. I think because we we put it on our flyer, and I I I remember having th- this thought of like we need to put it on the flyer at least since this is our first year 
that it's women and men inclusive. Um, I understand that doesn't necessarily include everybody that we wanted this to reach out to, but I really just didn't want, uh, you know, the the male spectrum of the D&D community pushing and being like, well, why can't we have our men's night? Or why is it, why can't we come and do this as well? Like what's, I just didn't want that, that sort of negativity because at the end of the day, I did want dudes there if they were going to be allies to the the cause of having strong women uh, running games and having more women and women identifying uh playing then yes no come and come and out and support ladies night um and uh I, I didn't get any pushback from anybody weird i didn't have people showing up at the events saying anything which again i think is like you know the the kind of community and the the locations we were at i didn't have you know weirdos coming in and making making problems um but uh you know i i don't i I didn't at least from my end i didn't see anybody that was uh actively being a jerk about the whole event that's good i think there's um i know with some of the women and non-binary folk that i've talked to the idea of running a women's game day or a trans game day or a non-binary game day, they're a little concerned. Like what if the, what if the jerks show up? And uh, I'm, I'm wondering, hoping that maybe those days are, are starting to sunset. That is the hope and the dream. Uh, And I I don't know, it, it kind of occurred to me that if, if one of those guys or, and maybe even a woman showed up and wanted to, cause some ruckus. I was in six inch heels all weekend, all week, and I would just crush them with them. Like, that's just, that was you my mentality. Fierce. You look I was, fierce. I was very fierce. I like to think that maybe it's back to the asshole filter thing, maybe, and maybe I shouldn't attribute too much to that, but I think because maybe we create such an inclusive event on the regular that the people that are part of our community were totally down with it, and we didn't have too many assholes. I was worried about that too, Nikki, if you recall. Like, I was stress that people are going to say mean things online and i'm very sensitive but fortunately we didn't get too many like really any negative remarks everyone was really down for the cause from the start yeah so so i mean you know the the famous line is they'll forget what you said they'll forget what you did but they'll never forget how they how you made them feel how do you think this event made the players feel made the dms feel made the community feel i think the whole event and i and uh just from my my own feelings and having people coming up and talk to me, this felt like uh, it felt like not only like we were we were making something together, but we were doing doing something new that hadn't really been done before, at least in our perspective, like getting a bunch of people, a bunch of women, women identifying non-binary to come out and take over. Oh, for a week, what is essentially a male-dominated uh, uh, event, and just fucking crush it and do it for a good cause, and just show them that like, you know, we can run these games and we can do these events and we can we can bring out. We brought out so many people that uh, like came because it was like, oh, I heard about Sleepy's Night from my Facebook event or my friend told me about it. Like, uh, we had 50% more women and non-binary showing up to 
this ladies' night event than I've ever seen at any of our D&D events, the weekly ones or the bar crawls, and that made me so proud. I, I was floored by that. I would say it was magic. It felt like that to me. I love when I go to our event. It just, it feels that way. It was very energetic. Uh, Paige, you were there too. I'm curious how you felt uh, from the perspective of like, uh, a, I guess you were a DM, not a player, but still someone who wasn't involved in the organizing uh, as much. So I, I started playing D&D in 1982. I was, I was, I was 11. I did not meet another woman who played D&D till my junior or senior year of college. Like, they just didn't exist. I didn't see them. You didn't talk about them. Like, it was just not a thing that existed. And for me to compare my world growing up as a teenager and 20-something playing D&D to um, my friend Casey, who I think is 21 or 22, who was there with her mom... Christy, who's a friend of mine, to see Casey look around and see all these awesome women and not just white chicks playing D&D, like, I I got a little teary. I confess, mm-hmm. I got a little teary. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. It was awesome. I, I really, like I've said it before, I'm going to keep on saying it. Right here, what we are experiencing right now is the golden age of women in d and I couldn't agree more. It... Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm like, 100%. Uh, I've got goosebumps and I'm getting a little misty-eyed right now, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of the Golden Age women in D&D, one of the things that you had, and we'll put a picture of this up on our on our show notes, was you had uh, candles for the Lady Saints of D&D. Yes. And uh, will you tell us uh, who you chose as kind of the, the Lady Saints of D&D and who they are, why they're important, and how you chose them? Um, well, to just say, first of all, that the reason that they're even Lady Saint candles is um, uh, Andrew Bellary made uh, DM Saint candles that we have a joystick um, that, uh, you know, are always out when people come in for the one shots. They're next to the dice box where people can grab dice. So they're, they're always kind of seen when people walk in. Uh, the unfortunate thing about them is they're all guys. They have, you know, Gary Gygax, Matthew Mercer, um, uh, and a few other people whose names I've, I've already forgotten. Uh, so I wanted Sladies Night to have their own uh, their own set of women saints candles uh, of women who have not only DM'd games but have also just like paved the way for women in D and D. So uh, the going from uh, on the picture, it'll be from uh, left to right. Uh, we have Kate Welsh, uh, who uh, is also a dungeon master, but she is also a uh, journalist. Um, she's also just like a super rad lady. Um, I, I know her from Acquisitions Incorporated, C Team. Um, but she's she's also a WotC employee these days, right? Yes, she is. Uh, that's right. It I'm. Uh, not as up to date as I as I should be on a lot of stuff, but um, she's she's got her, her fingers in a lot of the the D and D community, uh, and it's super great. And then um, I'm I'm so terrible I cannot pronounce her last name. Uh, Janelle Jaquez 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 Jaquez. I, I got I got nothing. We're probably slaughtering it, but everybody uh, knows who we're talking about. Yes. Um, Wonderful woman uh, wrote Dark Tower, 
Um, and uh, uh, one other very uh, prominent D and D module. Um, oh, and she she and she also did a whole bunch of um, video game designs, yes. and uh, she's done some artwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have uh, the tallest candle being uh, Jean Wells. Uh, her full name's on the candle, but most people just know her as Jean Wells. Uh, she was the first ever uh, woman to be hired on to TSR before it became Wizards of the Coast. Um, and she wrote uh, the very controversial Silver- Silver-Haired Princess, um, which uh, I think copies can be found today, but the original copies uh, were uh, essentially burned. Um because of some uh, controversy over BDSM and things like that. But like, if you look at it, it's it's a very like women-centered story and uh, it's very sex positive in my opinion, but uh, at the time it definitely probably seemed like a very uh, taboo thing uh, and had to be uh, retracted and um, uh, taken apart. But um, she, you know, she's just kind of like the the the, uh, the snowball that kind of started it all. Um, yeah, definitely one of the founding mothers. Of the founding the mothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like also excited about the game. Uh, reading back, I was I was trying to find who I was going to put on these saints candles, and uh, Jean Wells was one of the few that was like actually excited about tabletop RPG. Whereas like when you uh, hear some testimonies from some of the other women that were there at the time. Most of them were just like not interested in it. They were either secretaries or friends or re- relatives that kind of like gave input, but weren't, they just didn't, they weren't excited about it. Whereas Jean was like, no, we should be like, it, we should, we should be excited about this stuff. Yeah. So. She was an important voice in the room. Yeah. Uh, and then after her, we actually, cause I couldn't pick, one, uh, I had to put all three of them on a candle. We have uh, uh, Marisha, Marisha Ray, oof, uh, Laura Bailey, and Ashley Johnson, who are the three women that are on Critical Role uh, that airs on Thursdays and Geek and Sundry. Um, and while they themselves are, you know, mostly actresses, uh, voice actresses, um, and are known uh, through that and the Critical Role, I think it's very important that they are. Um, they're kind of the face of the new generation of D and D because a lot of people do watch Critical Role with its uh, as it, as they play D and D Fifth Edition, um, and they have such a large following. Um, and just seeing them almost as like celebrity D and D players is is wild. I um, mean, not only that, like I said, I didn't I didn't even know other women played D and D for over a decade. Yeah. So, but now, I mean. If you play D&D, you know for a fact that women are part of the core fabric of D&D because the most popular D&D players in the world, arguably the Critical Role team, half practically half of them are women. Yes. Um, and like, and like uh, even, even for the people who are like, I don't like Critical Role. It's just too much time. I'm not going to watch it. Even if you don't dig Critical Role, you have to be grateful to it as yeah. a D&D player for what it has done for our hobby. Mm-hmm. Preach it. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> that was it. Uh, um, uh, and then following that is uh, Kate Irwin uh, she did uh, a lot of the artwork for the uh, D&D 5th edition books um, 
and while I don't, uh, uh, not to say that she isn't important, um, I, I wanted to, or she's, excuse me, she's not, like, a dungeon master, she doesn't, like, she probably plays, but she's not, like, as uh, as much of a, a face and celebrity as some of the others. Um, I feel like it's important to for us to have, um, like, all the aspects of D&D that you don't realize are touched by women, like the stories, the artwork, the journalism, the, the just, D&D nowadays is, it, women are so into it, and for people to, for me to see, like, it, being mostly dominated by guys, or at least like the ones that come out to play D and D so often, and people say, "Well, it, women aren't really in it." It's like, no, women are. Women are so into into D and D and into games and into nerd culture. And for for people to uh, uh, assume that they're not there is uh, erasure of women in in social media and and in pop culture. And I hate it. And I I wanted us to like touch on. As, as many parts of D&D in the past, like, 20 years um, with these Saints candles. And I, I think without their contributions, um, D&D wouldn't be what it is today. Yeah, if nothing else, you're burning a candle for all the, the many, many, many women in our 50s and 60s. Yeah. Who, uh who didn't have the benefit of wonderful events like Slady's Night to have that community. Exactly. I definitely had a moment where I did want to bring out, like, tea candles and little slips of paper and have everybody, like, light a candle and uh, write down who inspired them to play D&D or, or what woman did they see that made them want to get into role-playing stuff. Um, because my mom actually used to play Dungeons & Dragons, uh, she played uh, back in, like, the 70s, like, 72 uh, was the last time her game Oof. ran. Yeah. Um, uh, she played back back when Elf was a, was a class. <laughs> right? Um, and Bard was, like, four classes? Yeah. And um, uh, she actually came to one of the HL D&D events uh, back during the Christmas time, uh, and everyone got to meet her. Um, so... And I, I think I, I kind of still want to do that, but maybe not not for the event because there's a lot of stuff going on. But we're, we're planning on having like a thank you party uh, for the people that helped with Ladies Night. And I think that would be a, a really cool thing. So you're mentioning a thank you party afterwards. Are there other follow up uh, events that you're interested in? Are you planning on doing something like this next year? Uh, I definitely have had people ask me about uh, doing another Ladies' Night this year, and I was like, no, I kind of want Ladies' Night to just be Women's Month, like the the week long Women's Month charity event that it that we've made it. Um, not that being said, we should definitely do other like women's run games, just not Ladies' Night. Um, so sure, I'm, like I'm, women women game days or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. Um, just not the whole big, like, Slady's Night. Um, so I'm in the process of, uh, once I've recovered, um, from this one, uh, possibly putting the wheels in motion for that for, you know, later on in the year. So what are you going to do next time to improve it and make it even better? Um, I 
think next time, uh, especially for the Diesel event, only having the one set of games rather than the two, uh, seeing about maybe even getting more DMs, uh, especially for the Wednesday and Thursdays games. Um, and uh, not like like selling the merchandise and having it being shipped out and not having people pick it up at the event. That was another thing that was a little bit hectic. You um, wanted your warm little paws at yes, the time. Yes, yes. Um, but other than that, I think this was a very good... Um, yeah, I, I think this was pretty pretty chill, and it uh, you know I can only really learn from the the second time we tried to run this. Well, I I really enjoyed the event. Everybody who uh, I talked to really enjoyed the event, and I got to meet a bunch of cool uh, women gamers that I didn't previously know, and I really appreciate women gamers. That was the other thing too is like everybody was just like, oh my god, we all have to like link up now and and exchange information and 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 talk more about spreading ourselves with more women together and doing it like we just created a spider web and it's beautiful and i love it yep definitely well this is this is about the end of the show so uh tell us both if you would both y'all talk to us about uh what's coming up next for atl dnd Obviously, Eons and Neon. Obviously, the Game of Dragons Bar Crawl. Obviously, games every Monday through Thursday in various places in Atlanta. What? What else? What are your goals for 2019? Hmm. Well, let's see. I guess it's something that Nikki and I have not talked about uh, yet, but I know that some folks seeing the success of Slady's Night are interested in doing something for Pride. Nikki, I'm not sure how you felt about that. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Right? Yes! Okay, I was hoping for that. Oh, I got ahead and unmute myself. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that there are folks that basically want to try and do something similar. I think visibility is a major focus. So, I think that uh, we thought about doing it in June because they celebrate Pride in October in Atlanta. That way, we won't be stepping on Stupid. other Pride events. Yeah. I, well, I guess it's just so damn hot in June. But if you're inside playing DD, it's, it's not a big really, deal. It's really hot. Yeah. You don't, you don't yeah. want to be outside all day for Pride in June in Atlanta. Just They made a wise choice in this instance. But it's like cool to be indoors playing Pride D&D, I think, in air conditioning. I think yeah. That's perfect. Yes. So we're thinking about doing it for kind of uh, Pride more broadly. We would do it in June uh, at the anniversary of Stonewall and maybe do a, something akin to Ladies' Night. Just, um, I think, just Pride D&D events for that week, potentially. We haven't really worked out the details, but I do think that's in the works. I would also be super duper down with doing like a bar crawl even that is maybe not necessarily like the like the you know like the our normal bar crawls but just like a almost like a mini D D pride parade just around edgewood uh between the six bars of just us going in and playing like simple one shots and dressing as you know the various flags and yeah. just having having all of the diversity for that that is one of my favorite things about the bar crawl, though, is how we just take over the street in on Edgewood Avenue, and you see all these people in costume walking from bar to bar. Yeah, I like the spectacle. It, it, but you know what? Like Atlanta's the city that hosts Dragon Con, and it's like, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of people dressed up as like barbarians and tieflings walking around, you know, Edgewood, yeah. and yeah, most of Atlanta can look at that and be like, all right, it's that's expected, the thing that happens. Yeah. 
think. <laughs> well, that's actually. Oh, that's a. I forgot to mention. Uh, it's coming up earlier. We're presenting three things at MomaCon. I'm really glad we took time, or that you mentioned that page because I totally forgot. So I'll be doing D and D 101 at MomaCon, a con here in Atlanta uh, yeah. for listeners that are not aware of it. Uh, and then we're also going to be giving a panel discussion, which we would like Paige to invite you to be a part of, about creating a D and D community in your hometown. Huh. So, I guess uh, I probably shouldn't be pitching that to you like right here, but I'm I am I am down with it. Uh, we'll have to look at it. I'm I'm usually out of town that weekend, oh, I but see. I have surgery coming up in April. We'll talk. Okay, well then maybe if you can recommend someone else. But I know that Chris, well, it, it, Nikki had mentioned Chris. He's one of our like MCs and he runs one of the events. But that he had the idea of like just doing a talk about how to create a non toxic community and given the good work you do with the online communities and the moderation that you do i felt like even if you're not able to be there in person if you have some points you would like us to make in your stead we would appreciate it because you do such a good job with that oh, trying thanks. to create. yeah but that's all i think that's a big focus of ours the third one we're doing is uh teaching people to dm as well so at momocon atl D will be doing three different panels so if anyone's there at momocon you should come see us and then come see me and play that D that you wanted to learn yeah Come see me, learn how to play D&D, and then come see me and Jenny and run D&D. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be at MomoCon, by the way. If you can't find anyone for that, I'll already be there. I'll be there. <laughs> uh, I'll be there. We'll be there. I'll be there. Mm-hmm. When you need me. Okay. Any more events? Not at the moment. They always come like you know, uh, two or so months uh, but we try not to try not to overschedule ourselves. We yeah, we just sold out for this upcoming bar crawl, unfortunately. But Hell yeah, be, yeah. Which oh yeah, that just happened yesterday. Sorry. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> exciting. But we'll have be having our fourth bar crawl, I think, later this year. I'm really ex- I'll be writing that one, so I'm actually really excited about it. It's uh, going to be called the Resistance, and it's set in um, like a city setting where the Dark Overlords already taken over, and you're part of an underground movement trying to like sabotage and take them out from the inside. I like uh, it. It yeah, I thought it'll be pretty interesting. So I think we have two bar crawls this year. We have the monthly brunch events. I would recommend of uh, because as Nikki said, we don't know about these things well in advance. Just being on our Discord or uh, connecting with us on social media is probably the best way to know about these things. And we have an email list, too, where we sometimes can give advance tickets as well. Excellent segue, sir, to the wrap-up portion. So, uh, when people want to learn more about ATL D&D, we'll put uh, a bunch of websites in our show notes so that people can get to them. Uh, tell people how to get in touch with ATL D&D and then how to get in touch with you. Uh, Bradley, if you'll go first. Oh, sorry. So, yeah, I think our website, which uh, my good friend Omri made for us, it's just atldnd.com. So the the N in D&D is the letter N. So atldnd.com is kind of the best way to get to all this info. Uh, so uh, from there, you can connect to like our Facebook page. You can join our email list. Uh, we're adding a join link. We're going to try and make it a little easier, I think, to get involved. Uh, but when you click on that, you would be added to the email list and then you would receive like once a month updates with, we have some content produced by the community too. The Albert fun pages we send out every month has like community created maps and monsters and different things for DMs or players to enjoy. Uh, and then I think that's pretty much it. Just Facebook is usually where we send a lot of things out. Uh, 
although we're trying to move away from that and like use our Discord more, uh, there's a link to the Discord on our website, but it's also just discord.atldnd.com. Nikki, anything? Uh, no, all, all of our handles are pretty much atldnd on Twitter and on Instagram. So if you wanted to look at any of the posts on those websites. Okay, that, that's wonderful. Um, well, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you online specifically, Nikki? Uh, you can find me uh, Twitter at the Wigged DM. Uh, I'm Nikki Johnson on Facebook, and you can find me on Instagram at the Wigged Chipmunk. I do plan on changing that to the Wigged DM at some point because having two different names is very strange. <laughs> All right, yeah. Bradley, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? I don't know if I can be found online too easily. I guess just I would say through the ATLDND website uh, that on the contact page. If you send an email to like the info at uh, atldnd.com, it'll go to me. Oh, good. We'll send all kinds of emails. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, you can find um, the roundtable on Twitter at d in the letter n d roundtable. You can find us on Facebook at dnd roundtable as well. And if you want to speak to us with some freeform comments, feedback, or just you know whatever, you can email us at d the letter n d roundtable at gmail.com. And you can find me personally um, on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G I. N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. You can find me on Facebook under the same name. And if you want to find me on Instagram, it's G underscore Loveday. And you can find me on Twitter at Paige Lightman. That's P-A-I-G-E-L-E-I-T-M-A-N. Or if you're on Facebook, go to the big 5th edition Facebook group. I'm a moderator there. It's hard to miss me. Okay, well, that is it for this episode of The Roundtable. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Please remember to like us on Facebook and leave us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or your podcast software of choice. It's not software, whatever. Anyways, that's it for this episode of The Roundtable. Until next time.